0: This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show.
1: As we hurtle towards the end of February, it's feeling like this season is still yet to get going for Manchester City. Sure, the performance at Nottingham Forest was good, same for the first half against Leipzig, but ultimately, we're all probably hoping for something better than two 1-0 draws this week. So, on today's Blue Moon podcast, we're going to look at the juxtaposition of the last seven days and try to work out where the balance between performance and results has to lie. Later on in the show, we'll hear from Jim, who runs the Twitter account City Underscore Tactics. He'll be discussing Bernardo Silva's new role as a makeshift left-back come holding midfielder and we'll preview the games with bournemouth and bristol city catching up with stan hughes from the one stream in bristol podcast along the way i'm david mooney for this one i am joined by city fans richard burns hello there and casey all
2: right
1: not bad thanks casey not bad you well richard
2: yeah all good thanks david are you
1: uh, I'm not bad. I'm worried that we're getting into a feedback loop already. Um, because I'm I'm not bad. Thanks. How are you? Is the sort of natural answer to that. Um, so let's uh, let, let's not let, let's not let that go on too long. Um, let's start then with uh, Forest and Leipzig. Um, I mean, KC. I said in the intro. That uh, we probably weren't expecting two 1-0 draws, and t- we weren't hoping for two 1-0 draws. However, in terms of performances, you know, three quarters of the performances for, for for this week have been pretty good. So, like, what's what's your feeling for the last week?
3: Uh, yeah, so the, they were both two very different games, despite them being, you know, exactly the same results. I think the the, the the forest game to me was exactly the sort of game over the past two or three seasons that when we've played it, it's the sort of game where everyone's gone. See, if we just had a striker we'd win this game easily whereas in actual fact we had the best striker in the world and it just didn't work out i thought the performance was actually pretty good all things considering but yeah the equaliser was just inevitable it just um, sometimes uh, football does like to uh, have a bit of a narrative and uh, it just seemed that as soon as arsenal came back in the early game earlier on in the day that uh, we were inevitably going to drop points, whereas I think if Villa got a result, we'd have absolutely steamrolled Forest with no issues. I think it's, it was just one of them that you've got to chalk it up to. It's just unfortunate that other performances earlier on in this season mean that we can't we can't have that many slip-ups that we can. Yes, yeah, no oh, leeway what, now, yeah, is there? Yeah, exactly. It's the not the complete damage, but the. Um, the disturbance, let's say, has been done earlier in the season, with not given us uh, not not given us any breathing space, um, and, and left us where we are. Where we are.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, Richard. Weirdly, um, for all of this, like as you say, one of those days, you know, um, in terms of the Forest performance, like I wasn't that upset by the by the result in the end. I, I guess it's kind of like as Guardiola says in his words: like City were there in the game; they've not been there for a while. They've been getting results every now and then, but they've not been there. And they were against Forest.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, the result I found personally really disappointing. Um, but I think that's more on the basis that we just obviously off, off the back of such a really important and really satisfying win against Arsenal at a point when questions were being asked about um, about City. And obviously things haven't felt very rosy for, uh, for a little while, I don't think. Uh, to come off the back of a result like that by dropping points and giving Arsenal um a bit more of their advantage back um was disappointing and I think to me there's a like if we were in a great run of form I would see this quite differently but to to come off like a really it was a good performance and we created the chances and to come away having drawn one all against a team that you know I mean Forest clearly had a way that they wanted to play and they're in they're in good form themselves um they've they've been decent after the world cup i think but still to come away from that game having dominated it and not have the three points just feels like it's like another it, it, i think it's a problem that i don't really think we've had like normally when we play that well and we're all over teams we do get the three points yeah I think and so just uh, to, to throw something else into the mix is a as a negative like you know not a great result is. Um, I just I found it a little underwhelming in the end. Yeah. Sorry, I think
3: Casey. I think it's like regardless of the performance which ordinarily would be good. I think it's because the Arsenal game felt like such a momentum builder that even though we played well against Forest it did feel like it was just a momentum halter. Um regardless of whether the performance was good or not and I suppose that sort of that's how it sort of ended up with the with the way that led into the Leipzig game as well that sort of it, I think we win at the weekend. I think we win easily last night. I think it's just um this season we've struggled to get into like our rhythm, have we? Where normally we get three, four, five games on the spin that inevitably turn into eight, nine, ten wins in a row. And I think we've just struggled to get that momentum this year.
1: I mean, Richard, when you contrast the Forest game to the Leipzig game, where like the second half was was just not good at all in, in, in Germany. Um Like, ultimately, the fact that City came away from that one in terms of the performance, you go, okay, well, 1-1's not a bad result in that sense. But it's like, it's a really weird feeling given, like, the domination against Forest and the domination in the first half against Leipzig to to come away with the same result, I guess.
2: Yeah, and I think the the Leipzig game you can, or the Leipzig result, you can offset the sort of, um, like, Face value disappointment at not converting a good first half performance into a win, or like stretching that over the ninety minutes. I think you can mitigate that a little bit with the fact that there's a second leg to come at home, so it makes it feel like a, a better result. Um, yeah, you know, and also feel, don't
1: like don't take the risks in the first leg. Like you can you can lose the tie in the first leg, but you you might not win it.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Whereas in the Premier League, like every point is absolutely um, is absolutely crucial now. Um, and so I think I didn't feel. Overly disappointed by the Leipzig result. You know, obviously, I'd have preferred a win, but a draw doesn't feel like a catastrophic result. Um, And in the league, I mean, catastrophic would be a strong word, but any drop point when Arsenal win is really damaging.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, just on the week, Casey... um, we used to talk. I, I, I can't remember if if I had this discussion with you on the podcast in you know years and years ago. But we're talking like back in the old Pellegrini days. Like oh, City gosh, used to. God, thanks, yeah. Th-
3: thanks for bringing up the dead man. Bloody hell.
1: Sorry, uh, but there they used to be a time where City would uh, lose control of a game and then just never get it back. And I'm a little worried that that's sort of happening to City now. And because that, that's that's kind of what happened in, in Leipzig. And okay, they didn't. I, I, I don't.
3: I don't get that feeling. It's like that. that it's, under Pellegrini, sometimes that used to happen at kickoff. Um, <laughs> it was un, like they, they, they get you know. Obviously, it's an old cliche, but like last night was a game of two halves. Um, in terms of we, we were very much in control of the first half. In the second half, we weren't. But I think you know Leipzig. That, that's that's how they came out. They, they set the they set themselves up completely differently. And I think to be honest, in a way, Leipzig are probably tried to take a bit of the, the, the Spurs template about how Spurs usually try and play us um, and, and, and tried to do that. And that, you know, that is a weakness for us. Um, and Guardiola just, you know, he tried to control it in the first half. I thought I thought we did control it in the first half. We, you know, I thought we, we played really well. Yeah, I um, thought we definitely but, did. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't the most interesting game of football that first half, I would say. Um, it was very methodical, and you know, and I think sometimes when you get into that sort of mindset, I think it's then easy when not easy, but it it, it can you can end up then becoming complacent, and when you get got caught cold in the second half, and then all of a sudden it's just like then then you've got your backs against the wall, and momentum in football is very you know it's it's hard won but easy lost, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Now, um, we're good. we'll talk a bit more about uh, City's setup for the last week for a bit now, because uh, Guardiola went to a more orthodox looking back four for Leipzig, well, as, as kind of orthodox as City get these days. But for the games before, the manager's been using Bernardo Silva as a nominal left-back. To discuss more about what the move does for the team and what problems it both solves and causes, I've been speaking to Jim, who runs the Twitter account City underscore Tactics.
4: Yeah, it's one that came out a bit out of left field, didn't it? It's... Uh... But nothing should surprise us, really, with Guardiola. You know, we've we've seen him do it previously with Zinchenko, with Delph. It's worked a pretty good effect there. Now Zinchenko's just considered a specialist, inverted left-back in in effect. So um, I can't see that happening with Bernardo because he's got lots of strings to his bow and it it does look as though it's just a fix for where we are uh, for the time being. But I think you have to almost split it up into two different aspects of the game, that he's, he's performing two different roles. So in possession... So, for example, against Forest, City dominated there on, on Saturday and, you know, the, made a lot of chances. And I think I heard Guardiola asked about Bernardo after the match and talking about a goal coming down his side that we conceded. But he pointed out saying like, yeah, but we dominated. What What did he contribute to that? And I think that's, you know, that's obviously really, really relevant. If you've got Bernardo in midfield, he had almost the most, I think he had the second most touches in the game. He's obviously really comfortable in possession he allows, he almost sorts out possession a lot of the time. If you play the ball into Monado under pressure and the ball's been knocked around a bit like a hot potato, he tends to take a player on, sort it out, give it to someone else and everything's calm again. Yeah, a bit more and time you, and
1: space for everybody else sort of thing. Yeah,
4: so you get that aspect of, of the game when you play him in that role. Um, obviously, when we're out of possession, it's a bit of a different story. So I think it was a bit of a surprise that he started at Arsenal for me. Because you looked at that game and thought, well, Saka's their biggest threat, the right winger. It could potentially cause a lot of problems for Bernardo, which, as it turned out, you know they didn't really create too much down there. But you know, Bernardo gave away a lot of fouls against him. It looked quite uncomfortable. There was a couple of times where he dropped too far back. So it, it, the line, the defensive line was like being dropped back because of Bernardo's positioning. So there are issues around what we do out of possession and how that affects us. But I think it's a balanced act. It's like, what can he give us in possession that the other players can't? So, for example, now we're left with a, a situation where right back our options, are walker and Lewis. Lewis can do this role. And he's a good example of someone who probably does the defensive bit really well as well. So he inverts, but there's quite a lot of instances where he played the right back role, inverting, and he got back in to defend well against players. So because he's got that to his game as well, obviously he's not as good in possession as Bernardo is. And we tried him at left back on uh, versus Spurs, and it didn't work out too well. You know, it's asking a lot of an 18 year old to invert from the side that he's not used to playing on. So I think Bernardo's just the he's the guy for the left back spot at the moment. Um, just because he's the most suited to it in possession. Whereas there's out of possession, we could play the back. We could play a back four like with Ake left back, Walker right back. But if he wants to invert someone there, they're not ideal. Walker's obviously the senior guy at right back. He's back to playing pretty well. So you probably want to keep him in the team. If he wants to play this 3-2 build-up, he needs someone to invert. So Bernardo's the option at the moment. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah I just want to play uh, this. This is uh, Guardiola speaking to Amazon after the Arsenal game. Um, basically about that. For the, the difference in the first half and the second half and Bernardo's role.
5: What frustrated you particularly in that first half then? Uh, my tactics. <laughs> Why? I, because I decided uh, something new and it was an... It was horrible. <laughs> Pep, was there a concern at half time with Bernardo Silva on a yellow card?
4: Was there ever a thought to? See yeah, it? a little bit. But
5: yeah. uh, Bernardo is so intelligent and he knows exactly what uh, he 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 doesn't lose his. We
4: were having his his the discussion whether you thought you're going to push him further into the middle and then and then bring a left back on or do it. It would have been very uh, hard no. to take him off after putting them there at left back.
5: No, normally we put we put Bernardo in the middle. I'm um, not stupid enough to to put it like a left-back, not a left-back, but put it in the middle to have one more man, but against men to men they do, you don't have the extra extra player there. So that's why it's useless. Yeah. But Bernard is so important for <laughs> us because it's so intelligent, he's so clever to understand what is going on, what's happening. He That immediately, yeah. correct everything and and it's a guy who had left back and finished with a right yep. winger. Yep. So few players can do that.
1: So that kind of speaks to what you were saying there, Jim. Uh, now, the, the other side of this as well is we all assumed when Guardiola said um, that his tactics were horrible, that he was inferring the tactic was Bernardo at left back. So that was picked up on in the uh, press conference ahead of the Nottingham Forest game. Um, and then this exchange happened.
6: After the Arsenal game, you, you yourself described that the tactics is horrible playing Bernardo Silver at left back. No. Oh, sorry, go on.
5: I didn't say that in general, aspect where I imagine to figure out the game didn't work. Okay. But not because Bernardo played the left back. Okay. I didn't say that.
3: So, do you think it worked then
5: Bernardo played yeah. the left back? Okay. Bernardo as a fullback is more aggressive in the duels like Fabian Delvis and Cinchenko. It's more aggressive.
1: So that was Guardiola um, ahead of the Forest game. Uh, he, he later went on to explain that that it was the wingers that he wasn't happy with in, uh, in, in the tactics. It wasn't, it wasn't anything to do with Bernardo at left-back. Um, I mean, Jim, what, what, it's all about control, isn't it? What would what you make of what Guardiola said there?
4: Yeah, so it was the pressing structure that changed. So the wingers were coming inside and pressing uh, Xhaka and Jorginho, which is quite unusual for the way City set up and were forcing the possession into the full-backs. He obviously didn't think that was working. Because I think the way he views it is that Bernardo is just an inverted fullback that he's playing. It's, it might be Bernardo Silva and we're all used to him playing in midfield or on the wing. And it looks really strange to us, but he's just saying, well, I'm playing a 3-2 formation in, in possession and I'm inverting my left back and it just happens to Bernardo Silva. There's nothing difficult in, in the tactics there. There's nothing particularly innovative or anything. So I think that's the way he views it like tactically. In terms of the measure of control that it gives you. Like I said before, he is probably the most press-resistant player in the team. It's interesting that that Arsenal match was interesting, actually, because you had a back three of Diaz, Walker and Ake. And we really struggled to get the ball from Edison through into the midfield too. And that was an issue. Obviously, Arsenal's pressing was causing those problems because they're pressing man-to-man. But also the makeup of that back three, he was playing his most defensively assured players. So instead of playing Laporte, he was playing Ake. Um, obviously, Stones was missing, so you're missing your best two ball players who could play in that back line, and I think that essentially was why our possession stats were so low. Like we're down at 36. percent I've seen a few things saying, "Oh, well, Pep was happy to play like that. He's, you know, he's happy to see possession, and you know, it's, it's a sort of new way of where where City so yeah, how City wants to play." I don't particularly buy into that. Guardiola is all about possession. He wants yeah. us to play. He wants us to play like we played against forest and create loads of chances and you know i think that was forest was a really good example we created loads of chances bernardo was really involved in possession it worked now the goal came down that side people would look at that and go well that's a problem because bernardo's playing there there was a few things that happened within that goal someone got free because grealish decided to press the center back and no one really covered for that but bernardo does jump out to the winger which creates a, another issue, whether he does that right or wrong. You know, we can argue all day about that. It, it just sums up like where we are. But I think if you ask Guardiola about that performance against Forest, he'd say, you know, we absolutely dominated, created loads of chances. We should have scored three or four of them. If we had them, it would have been an issue, that goal at the end. And Bernardo was a big part of that domination. Yeah. scored the goal as well, as, as it happens.
1: I'm interested in that as well because I mean I'd agree with him. I I think the Forest performance was one of the best City put in for a long time now, and um, it, I, I'm wondering, Jim, do you think it's a coincidence that City have been performance-wise they've been improving and they've had that little bit more of a threat and looked a little bit more dangerous while also having a lot of control of games since they've come up with this fix of Bernardo at left back.
4: No, yeah, I think I don't think that is a coincidence. I think it's working pretty well in possession. He gives us that more of a, more of that control in the middle. Him and Rodriguez playing as a two, it's really nice in possession, really good. It's just this thing about it doesn't look right, you know, Bernardo shuffling back into and dealing with like the likes of Saka, it just doesn't look like right, right to the supporter who's, who's looking out because he isn't the left back. Yeah, we,
1: we, we want four four two. That's what we want. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. Now, <laughs> I, and I've seen a lot of stuff saying like, let's go to Walker and Naki as our full-backs. but. You lose a lot there. In possession, they just can't hold the lights of Bernardo Silva. But then again, if you if the ball goes down the wing to one of the opposition wingers, they'll probably be pretty decent at dealing with that. We've seen Aki play there this season and he's been great defensively. We all know what Walker can do. But essentially you're losing you're losing what you have in possession with Bernardo Silva. So it's it's a bit of a conundrum. It's not an ideal solution. I think that's an important factor in this, is that we're seeing this as Pep almost saying like, hey, isn't this great? Isn't this a great solution that I've I've come up with? I don't think he'd see it like that. He'd see it like, well, I started the season with Cancelo and uh, Walker. I used to use Cancelo inside, outside. So essentially, Cancelo was a really good option for him because he trusted him to do various different roles. Whereas now the fullbacks he's left with, say we go with Walker and Ake, they're not as good in possession. So he doesn't trust them to do the roles that he used to trust Cancelo to do. That's why essentially we're looking at like pushing Bernardo Silva back to left back. Um I think what's really interesting about that is like this three two formation that we're playing at the moment in possession. When we were playing against back fives earlier in the season, he pushed Cancelo right up the wing to create like an attacking six in possession. So he'd play like a two two at the back. So he'd play centre backs and he'd invert a full back. So at Leicester plays stones right back. We played him inverted in next to Robbery, and you're playing 2 2 6. Now, we're not, we're not seeing that anymore against back fives. We've, we're seeing this 3 2. And I think that creates a bit of an issue against a back five because you're essentially not able to have the numerical advantage in the front line, which is something that Guardiola tends to stick to as one of his principles. But because of the options that we have at the moment, we've not yet seen him push Bernardo right down the touchline, for example, because he's more suited to sorting out stuff in the middle. Yeah,
1: uh, just finally then, Jim, as well, uh, because I mean, Guardiola's been here since what, 2016 now. Um, you know, is he ever going to get a season where he gets a proper left back? Because I mean, he's, you see what he's done with Delph, Zinchenko, Cancelo, now Bernardo. I mean, it's they're brilliant solutions, but like, what what would he be like if he just had a, a somebody he could play like Kyle Walker, but a left hand side version?
4: Yeah, I think he'd love to have the option. Like, I think Cucarella was obviously on the on the table last last season. Didn't happen. Tried to replace him with Gomez. That's not really worked out. It doesn't seem to trust him, especially in the big matches. So I think he wants that option. Obviously, we bought Mendy for a fortune, no longer available. But that was the sort of option that we haven't got a wide left option from fullback. Cancelo did it and did it pretty well on his opposite flank. But yeah, I think it's, it's needed in it? it's time. <laughs>
0: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
1: That was Jim from City Tactics. Um, Richard, let's talk about uh, the defence then, Um, because obviously not great for the Leipzig goal, not great for the Forest goal. Um, City have conceded the first shot on target in four of their last five games. Um, It's happened 10 times in the Premier League over the course of the season so far. A couple of them penalties, so we kind of let them off that. But more often than not, uh, they weren't. Um, Their expected goals against, though, is the best in the league. Three teams, Chelsea, I think Arsenal and Newcastle, have a better defence than them. So there's a little bit of a disconnect here between how City are actually defending and the statistics. What do you you make of the way things are going at the back at the moment?
2: Well, I think... um I, I don't think things feel very settled in defence and haven't done since the World Cup, which I think is, like, like it's the, I guess, a it's almost like the problem that's not a problem a lot of the time for City is that they've got so much strength in depth and so many quality defenders that, like, it almost hasn't mattered who's played there or, or who the centre-back pairing has been or almost like who the full-backs are. Everybody is capable of doing almost the same job to, you know, different levels of quality or, or different, like, key strengths. But ultimately, everybody just fits in there. And I think, like, thinking about since the World Cup, the chopping and changing at fullback back from um, Rico Lewis to Kyle Walker, obviously, Cancelo not really getting a look in and gone, to Bernardo Silva playing this very unorthodox um, and unusual sort of left-back role. And then... John Stone's injury, um, Diaz coming back after like a decent amount of time out. It's
1: just disruption central, isn't it? Exactly,
2: yeah. yeah. And you you can, you know, you can list more. And then I think it's underpinned by, and I I think we'll probably touch on this anyway, I think it's underpinned by a goalkeeper not in, uh, fair to say, not in the best form he's ever been in at City in terms of um, the the saves that he makes. Or yeah, just just, just being that rock at the back.
3: Do you think, like, in relative terms, I think I've seen Edison in much worse form. I don't think he's been too bad, has he? Or...
2: I think my so my, my view on it um, would be that and, and it's, I guess, quite a simplistic way of putting it, but I think there have been times at City where you can pinpoint great saves is made or, or saves is made that you can, say, have won City points um, or avoided them losing games and less of the sort of He could do better type moments and i think now uh, i sort of see think that has flipped on its head and i think it's rare that he makes a save where you'd think oh that's a match winner or like and it's more of the um like conceding goals where I find myself wondering, could he have done better? And they're very rarely howlers. Like, that's the thing. I don't think he ever stands out for um, completely sort of flapping his lines, if that's the saying. I think I might have mixed a couple of sayings. Eh? That's,
1: that's definitely not a saying.
2: Flapping
1: his lines is not a saying. What
2: what do you do to your lines? You do you something. Fluff, bad. You, fluff, you fluff, You're your fluff your lines. You fluff yeah. your lines and you flap it sharp. There we go. So he's flapping it. <laughs>
3: am i on the football cliches
2: (laughs) (laughs) but you know i mean i I just feel like he's um he's more in that territory of um not making like I say, not making howlers but not really standing out as making great saves and yeah i just I, i don't think he's in amazing form although obviously he still does offer like the key Attributes with his distribution, which is like the I, I, he's there for.
3: I, 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 maybe you're right, and I'll have to watch him a bit more closely. But I think I think that's pretty unfair on Edison at the at the moment. You know, uh, fr- from my point of view, I've not seen him do do too much wrong. But yeah,
1: it's a it's like I, I, like it's like a three way balancing scales between like distribution and, and calmness in possession and what he offers the the, the build up compared to you know bailing your team out and making saves here and there, and like it just, I don't know. I I do wonder at the moment because like he is important to the build up and the way that City play, and I wonder how much of missing Laporte and Stones ahead of him as as has been a, a hindrance to City playing through the lines. Um, I think I think, you...
3: I, 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 I think it's more down to the fact that you know with our hubris in the fullback area in terms of you know I'm not just talking about just having Cancelo. I'm talking about having you know as you said before means like a minus one left back um i think i think it's more that the fact that we haven't it's not necessarily the personnel who are playing at the back it's we've never got a settled shape at the back we're always playing a different formation at the back every week it seems so even when bernardo's uh you know bernardo playing at left back and he's out of position he's not playing he wasn't playing it in the same way coming inside that Cancelo was like he was being asked to do a different role. When Aki's playing at left back, he's asked to do a different role. I think it's more the shape that the back three or back four have got across the back. That's what's causing a lot of the confusion. Not not just the personnel themselves. Um, that, that's certainly how it seems to me. It's more that we just we don't have a settled shape, and then that then has a knock-on effect further up the pitch because people aren't always in the same position at the back every week.
1: Yeah. Well, just one final thought then, Casey on Edison. Um, because uh, in terms of statistics, again, he's got the low. He's got the third lowest save percentage uh, again from shots faced in the Premier League. Granted, he doesn't face that many shots when they when he does. They've you know they they might be good shots or they might be um, kind of the opposition's only chance sort of thing. because City tend to dominate the ball, um, but at the same time, he's underperforming. Uh, this is from uh, Sam Lee's article in the Athletic. He's he's un- underperforming what's known as the expected goals on target. So basically, saves shots that he should be saving you know he's he's not he's underperforming that element of his game
3: i would i would i would i would say that he he probably always has has he not like without knowing the stats i just think at the moment he's no worse in that regard than he has been or am i or am i being maybe like 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 i say it's probably a case that i've not been paying that much attention, rather than me having a massive uh, disagreement with you guys and defending him. It's more of <laughs> I've, I've, Because, as Richard said, he's not had, you know, those huge clangers, they've probably just not noticed him as much.
1: Yeah. I just... Uh, when you think back to... I mean, the one that that I always think back to, Richard, and I, I know this is unfair because City went on to win the game, but the goal that made it 3-2, uh, made it 2-0 uh, for Villa on the final day of last season. Like, it... it just looks like his weight is in entirely the wrong place. And that's when I, when I see Edison letting in a soft goal, that's kind of what I imagine.
3: My my, my immediate thought is when is uh, against Spurs when he got beat from about 25, 30 yards. When in the Laporte handball game, when we got the last yeah. minute winner, he was about 20 yards out of position. I've not seen him do anything anywhere near that
2: bad. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's, I suppose that's what I mean by the clangers, uh, I, I, not making like huge errors. It's uh, just those kind of ones where you think, is his anticipation there? Is he getting to uh, to like every shot that he reasonably should do? Um, it's very rare that I think you can see the goal where you think that's all Edison's fault or like he's caused a huge mistake. I just don't necessarily have him down as pulling a lot of uh, great saves out of the bag. Whereas I, I think in his first couple of seasons. I can probably think of maybe a handful where um where we did do that but again um you know that might be me misremembering and having a bit of sort of rose tinted glasses on that so
1: yeah, but the uh, the goalkeeping experts logged on here because uh, one, of the, one of the thing I think his uh, problem is is I think he comes out a bit too quickly at times. Um, I think if he if he didn't step if he didn't take a couple of steps forward, he gives himself more reaction time on shots. Which, like the way he uses his feet, I think he could uh, he could benefit from. Um, but hey, that's just me. That's what I would do in uh, in five We Should stick but, you in that. I you really don't want to see that. No, you really don't I, no, want to say that.
3: I, I was gonna say that's what you do in five and side, but you don't come out
1: of the area. Well <laughs> <laughs> no, well the, the place I play at, you do come out of the area. It's like oh, I have to deal way. with pass and shit now. It's really, really not my forte. <laughs> um let's finish. Uh, KC, the, the very end of the game against Leipzig uh, had the handball and VAR decision. Now initially BT Sports said it wasn't checked. Uh, But then Guardiola said in his his post-match press conference that it was checked. Um, BT later, I mean, they said cleared it up, but I'm not sure they did, uh, with an angle that showed it may have hit the T-shirt line rather than the the actual arm or the the shoulder. Um, And basically, from what my reading of that that image that uh, BT showed later on was if the referee had given a penalty, the evidence is not conclusive enough to overturn it and say it's not handball. But at the same time, because the referee hasn't given a penalty, the evidence... Is not strong enough to say it should be. What do you make of what's happened?
3: Uh, it's just all a load of bollocks and it was a penalty.
1: Um, <laughs> uh, just uh, yeah, that that that's the long and the short of it.
3: Um, but to be honest with you, I like like I, I even said that a bit flippantly because it's just I did not it, to me it's a, a you know a stonewall penalty, but never in a million years did I expect it to be given. We just don't we just don't get given those decisions, um, especially in Europe, not to go all agenda. Um, but we, we just don't seem to get those decisions in Europe and I, I've, I've just sort of learned to live with it and it's it's one of those things that you've got to overcome on top of on top of the opposition really
1: yeah it's it's this high bar isn't it Richard that effectively what it does is just seal in the bad decision
2: yeah this the the system um, isn't fit for for purpose or it's you know it was meant to um, give the officials an advantage and to be able to correct when everybody can see that something's blatantly wrong and i have an element of sympathy with the idea of not wanting to re-referee a game and, and all that stuff but it it just makes a mockery of having the system there in the first place either help the referees or don't and we either live with the human error that we used to have or uh, which was you know we sort of decided we don't want that so here's var and now we live with, well, I mean it's still human error because it's still the technology being interpreted by people, um, and it's it just I'd, consistently I'd doesn't work.
3: I'd rather go with human error rather than mates trying to cover their own backs because they don't want to dump mm. each other in. Like that—that's—that's that's what VAR's just turned into. And I was somebody who wanted VAR to come in, but it's
4: just—it's—it's um,
3: it's just you know. It it's just refere- referees just looking after themselves, and they don't want to dob the mates in it, in it. That that's all it is. It, it it's 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 got to the point now where it seems like if they gave a decision to overturn something, it feels like they're grassing on one of the mates. That's how they see it. That's how bad it is. Like somebody would have to be assaulted, you know, at, at, you know, with with some things. It's just uh, I'm just fed up of it. Like across the board, I think in generally speaking, when it comes to um, international tournaments. I think it works relatively well but I've never seen in League or Champions League it been implemented in that sort of way as it has been in World Cups and Euros and I, I just don't get it.
1: Yeah. Just uh, okay. So you mentioned it before that uh, again, not crying agenda, but City do seem to consistently get the rough end of the uh, of the stick in the Champions League. Um, favorite bad decisions, either of you? Anything, anything that's gone against City that you have thought that's a that's an absolute howler that you've now calmed down enough to be able to talk about it?
3: Uh, Dean Michaelis being sent off despite bringing um, was it Messi down against Barcelona, even though it was about five yards outside the box,
1: and uh, was, it was absolutely a penalty. It- yeah, it was absolutely a red card. Absolutely yeah, wasn't yeah, a yeah. penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
3: but it was miles outside the box. That was that was that was one that instantly springs to mind. And obviously the you know, the Spurs game, um, where they knocked us out with the with the uh the, the handball a the one. Yeah.
1: Richard, any any for you?
2: Um, well, I was going to go with uh, that guy who rep- the UEFA officially reported City officially for booing the anthem, but I don't think that's what you what you're after in terms of <laughs> discipline. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe
3: it, was that was was that because they were saying boo <laughs> <laughs> Um The
2: uh, the entirety of the uh, two legs against Liverpool, um, where there's just so many bad decisions that it's um, it's hard to. Remember them all.
1: To, to um, pinpoint one, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: the, the, the one that got, uh, ended up, Pep got sent off, didn't he, uh, for bemoaning them. So I'm just going to go the entirety of those two games.
1: Yeah, understood. Um, let's look ahead now to the games with Bournemouth and Bristol City. Um, Richard, the thought occurs uh, with all of this, though. like we, We've talked about stats with Edison. Um, stats are ultimately quite meaningless because at the moment, City have only one defeat in their last eight games, but they've only got two wins in the last five. They haven't won more than three Premier League games in a row all season, but over the last five games, they are the Premier League's most informed team. Like, That's how are
3: you one. feeling? That's number one.
1: Yeah, how are you you feeling about playing these games at the minute?
2: Well, I mean, you know, I I still start most games with the um, the feeling that City should win because they're still, you know, as the table shows, the second best team in the country this season, and you know, they're still absolutely packed full of uh, packed full of quality and do turn it on in moments. I think, like those stats are interesting in the sense that you know you it's that sort of you can prove anything with facts type thing or you like <laughs> you can you can manipulate stats to say what you want them to and really like sometimes you do just get a gut feeling or a, a sense of there's just a sort of palpable sense that things aren't right and i i think back quite a lot at the moment to in the i guess sort of infamous rant that pep had after the tottenham game i think one of the things that didn't really get picked up at the time but i think that actually i I think about a lot now because i think it it rings really true is he made a comment about the players like doing things because it's the way it's done or they make the passes because they know it's what the manager wants but it's like it's got to be about a bit more than that and i think like, maybe I'm guilty of, like, putting that lens over, over how I watch the game at the moment, but I just feel like things are a little bit laboured and, um, you know, we don't play the, like, a lot of the time, the pace or the urgency that I think you would normally associate with City. Um, and, yeah, it feels a bit more almost methodical for the sake of being methodical rather than uh, it being, like, a... A great tactical end. plan, yeah. Do, and and I don't know. Like I said, maybe I'm guilty of of reinterpreting things after hearing that from Pep. But it just it it does ring true to how things feel to me. And um, you know, I think that stat about not winning more than three games in a row in the Premier League is is really quite instructive because that is so far removed from the kind of form that we've seen at least once a season in um in any title winning season. Do you think?
3: Yeah. Do you think that's maybe why like Grealish is getting so much game time at the moment? Because I think he was guilty of that probably more than anyone last season. Mm. Whereas I think now, even though things aren't coming off from of him as much and things like that, he's actually he's he's been decisive in making decisions on the pitch, even if they're not working. They aren't just there just for the sake of it. Whereas like a lot of the time when he would be playing last year, and I, you know, I thought I. I, I was one of his defenders last year. It was a case of he'd get there and then pass it back to Cancelo because he thought that that's what the manager probably wanted. Whereas this time, he's actually he's willing to take on his man and beat him, and that's that's potentially why I see him getting why he's getting so many starts at the moment.
1: But I think there's a, a, a kind of a, a part of that as well is that yeah he will do that Casey, but he's also not afraid to hold it, hold it, hold it, knock it back exactly, when, exactly. when the situation yeah, yeah, yeah. demands it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's not just about it's kind not gung ho.
3: It's actually yeah. it's actually taking responsibility of of what's in front of you and making the decision based on that.
0: and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
1: The weird thing, Richard, I, I, I wonder, is this just then the eye test, Richard? Is this uh, because the, the, the number of pundits you hear, I mean, Owen Hargreaves on BT Sports said it after the Leipzig game, um, that he feels like City will go on a run now of, and they, they could easily put 10, 10 wins in a row together. And I, like, I don't know if I'm just being pessimistic and they might do that, but like the evidence of the season so far suggests that they won't. And the eye test suggests that there is something, like as Guardiola said after that Spurs game, in the clouds that's wrong. It's something that you can't quite put your finger on. But it's just not adding up to a 10-game winning run.
2: Yeah, it just it just doesn't feel like it's coming. I, I also think back um, quite a lot to the last time I was on the podcast, I think it was just the, the, those two games after the World Cup, um, that, that week after the Leeds and Liverpool Cup games. And I remember um, Dom Farrell saying at the time that City have lost because of the World have they've, they've actually lost the period where they normally put those runs together like that november to february without the champions league like there's plenty of times where they've put 15 to 20 wins together or you know at least unbeaten and they've def- and and that isn't excuse making like you have to find a way around that but um they have lost that period where they would normally put that kind of run together i guess the other you know to look for a more optimistic comparison the 1819 season they sort of had to win 14 games back-to-back at the end of the season to win the league after a pretty ropey spell in the middle where it looked like they were out of it. Um, And and they managed to do that. But again, you know, the the eye test tells me that that's probably not where we're headed at the moment, that kind of form.
1: Yeah. I mean, looking at the Bournemouth game in that case, KC, because... I mean, Bournemouth a point above the relegation zone, one win since the World Cup. Like, it feels very much a case of which city turns up for this one. City, like, you don't. The weird thing, the problem with inconsistency is you don't know when it's over.
3: Um. Yeah, we should just beat Bournemouth, though, for fuck's sake, shouldn't we? Yeah, no, that's what (laughs) I mean. (laughs) That's what I mean.
1: I yeah, know, no, it's, it's I, an absolute bread and butter game, but yeah, that's that's they're the ones where City have had problems
3: this year. I I, I I completely agree with you. Like like that's the reason why I sort of paused and hesitated because you you do get feelings of dread coming up to football matches for absolutely no reason sometimes, don't you? But for fuck's sake, it's Bournemouth. Surely you just go, <laughs> you know, right lads, it's Bournemouth. Bang, do a job. It's just, um, I th- I think considering the two results that we've had, there needs to be a, re- a reaction. This weekend, there needs to be um, a sort of a, a, a stamp put on. We actually want to win this title.
1: I was going to say, does this weekend tell you whether or not City are in the race?
3: No, no because it's so topsy turvy anyway. Like, my gut instinct to, to is to go yes and agree with you. But this, like, even in the past week and a half, the title's flipped on its head a couple of times, hasn't it, really? Like, Arsenal fans, after we beat them, were saying that you know, the City have handed him the title. Like The Arsenal have handed City the title. You just think, yeah, it's just a bit of a mad season, I think. And Hopefully, you know, like Richard says, the eye test is this evening. We do go on one of them runs, but
2: surely we have to win this weekend.
1: Yeah. Richard, have you got that dread for weekend?
2: No, not really, because this is the, I suppose, the great um, fickleness of a football fan is that when we're on, like, one of our big winning runs, like, Sod's law, well, not Sod's law, but just like something always tells me this is the weekend, it comes to an end because it can't go on forever. Whereas at the moment when we're not really putting the runs together, I still think that we're going to go out and win games 5-0 with Howler scoring a hat-trick every week. Yeah. So.
1: The, bad, the bad form can't go on forever. Can yeah. it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I, well, I mean, in terms of setup, then, Richard, well, what do you think City should do here? Because... I mean, obviously, the watchword of the season has been control. Guardiola is not going to ditch everything and play out like the Centurion season, you know, stick, a, stick wide-wingers on and, and go all-out gung-ho attack sort of thing. So what can City do within his way of approaching it to get the best out of this team? Because ultimately, we're not getting the best out of this team right now. Is it as simple as, as kind of, I mean, bizarrely, flipping Bernardo back to left-back, getting somebody, getting him back in that role where he can get into the middle from when we've got possession?
2: Um, I mean, yeah, maybe because I suppose, and I'm I'm no expert in uh, in in Bournemouth this season, I have to say, but you'd probably think that at least doing it against them rather than Arsenal, like against Arsenal, there's always the risk that he's up against Saka, who, um, you know, Arsenal were always going to attack us at home, all that stuff. I suppose we might be a little bit freer of that risk against Bournemouth, which isn't to discredit any threat they will carry. Um, absolutely. So, they're absolutely on, scoring down our line I was, was, right, was, no, like, was like going to say, Burnsy, go on,
3: name, name 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 who plays on the right wing for Bournemouth. <laughs> uh,
2: that one. You, you know yeah, the one I mean. I, not I, 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 have, I have
3: no idea who it is, but it'll be some fellow with a first name for a surname.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think like to me, key. I, I'd be really like forgetting sort of for a moment. I, I really want to see, Alvarez getting more of a, a run in the team, and you know, I'm, I'm sure Pep's got his reasons why he's not, and obviously Haaland is, um, is undroppable. I mean, his his bad form has now levelled him out to average in one goal a game. So you'd still probably keep him in there for chance of a goal, but you'd, I would like to see Alvarez play alongside him more. I think I've liked. Largely, what I've seen of that, uh, and I think it would. I think it. I think it would freshen us up. And yeah, he needs
3: to maybe it needs make to us less it predictable. up top. I agree with you. He needs to freshen it up up top some way.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mares was kind of doing that a little bit against Leipzig. Casey he was he was playing alongside Haaland for for, for spells of the first half, and it, I thought that was, I, I thought that was working really well for a spell, and then we didn't see it in the second half.
3: Yeah, because something does need to change with the way that we're getting Haaland into the game. Because um, at the moment, if he's not scoring, he's not doing anything. And I know he's got better over the past couple of months than where he was at the start of the year in terms of involving himself in the play. But I think at the same time, I do feel a bit sorry. We're not involving him in the play either, really, a lot of the time. And yeah. he, does, he does cut a lonely figure up there sometimes. And I think, you know, to, to a certain extent, you know that, that's, that's a problem that Pep has to figure out.
1: Yeah. Um, the other name, uh, Richard, I guess, is... I mean, Kevin De Bruyne was ill for the Leipzig game. Uh, we won't find out if he's if he's feeling better or not for, for Bournemouth until Guardiola does his press conference on Friday. Um, but if he isn't well, could Phil Foden come into the middle as kind of like that number eight? Yeah, well,
2: yeah, maybe. I mean, I think Pep has been um, in the past very reluctant to use him in the centre um, and has spoken a lot about him Feeling that he's not quite ready for that yet, despite having all the skills to get there, um, and, and definitely preferred him out wide. I think Grealish is undroppable on his current form. I think he's um, the form player in the team for me. So, and, and he's occupying a very similar space to where Foden would do. So, but I also want to see Foden um, see Foden playing more and, and getting back into form because it's um, it, it, again not been great for illness, injury, whatever, but he was out of form when he was playing um, b- before he was sort of being left out of the team. I- I'd love, you want Phil Foden at his best as an absolute joy of a player to watch and so important to the team. So, I, I you know, if he's lining up in the middle come Saturday, then I'll be pretty happy to see that. Um, and it's, to see. it's definitely an option because there's no doubt that he's got the the skill to do it. And he was, for the most part, he was um, he was good against Forrest and looked like he was regaining some of that form and had his... Certainly, more influence than he has been doing in, in previous games.
1: Yeah, um, Casey, we touched on ball playing centre backs uh, in the Edison chat, but I mean, also that that's a, a big thing to City's build up. So I mean, if if like I know Laporte wasn't great for for Forrest's goal, um, but uh, like, does he come back in for you, for instance, to to just help with that build up? Yeah,
3: yeah, he, he does. He does for me. Yeah, um, but to be honest with you, I, I think. It's, you know it's no secret to to anyone Aki's been our best defender this year by an absolute country mile and I think as long as he plays I think we, we do look a lot better at the back
1: yeah um just on the uh, the midweek game then, uh, because if uh, if Bournemouth is uh, kind of a case of which City turn up, then I feel like Bristol City could be in real banana skin territory, KC. They're a team that has got very little left to play for already in the Championship. The 10 points clear of the relegation zone, the 9 points off the playoffs, they're, they're as kind of central to the table as you could possibly get without being in the middle of middle positions. Um they're going into a cup game in the fifth round of the FA Cup with absolutely nothing to lose. At the same time, City are having problems in in, in in kind of high pressure moments when the when the other team kind of really do put them under the cosh a little bit. It feels like a dangerous tie. This one,
3: you know how to build up to a butt there you don't you bloody <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Again, come on, it's Bristol City. Like
1: just just beat them. this. This this feels more dangerous than Bournemouth does.
3: Yeah, I know because it's a cup game, I suppose. But no, nah, like I sub- it depends on what team he puts out. But we should just we should just beat Bristol City, surely? To God,
1: <laughs> Richard, help me out. <laughs>
2: I mean, neither, neither of you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, I mean, I, I suppose we've had quite a tough cup game against Bristol City. Um, in very recent memory, when you would have expected City to uh, to win fairly easily over two legs, and I think both legs were settled by uh, by late goals in the end. So, yeah, I mean, I am, I, I I can pretend I'm not confident of going winning against a team in a lower division, but that's not again to at all discredit the possibility of an upset because there is, I, I do think it has that little. Like If they were to make a good start, obviously the crowd's going to be up and all that. I don't think it would take a whole lot for it to start to feel like a very difficult game um, early on. But reality is that City win most of their games um, and there's not been that many cup upsets in recent years. And Wigan is the standout and we've been run close in a couple, but I I can't pretend that I'm not expecting a City win.
1: Yeah, I was trying to think of the last lower league side that knocked City out, and it's probably Wigan. I mean, I didn't know it's for usually sure Wigan. probably Wigan. It's, it's usually Wigan, Wigan, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So kind of see if Bristol City can add themselves to uh, the list where the uh, last few entries are pretty much all Wigan. Um Time's got a view of what to expect when City go to Ashton Gate on Tuesday. I've been speaking to Stan Hughes from the One Stream in Bristol podcast and magazine. I started by asking what's happened since these sides last met in 2018.
7: Do you know what? I've got to say, it's a period that I think the majority of City fans won't be keen to reminisce about too much. Um, just before we played you in the Caval Cup semi-final, um, we beat Man United, which for a lot of people was the high point under Lee Johnson. Um, our streaky manager that we had back then and perhaps the the high point of the last five or so years. Since then, we've had uh, a mix of managers um, and it never really has got back to those heady heights. That team, of course, fell away from the playoffs despite everyone outside of the championship watching that game, wanting us to go up. People saying we deserve to go up with the lovely type of football we played and the honest type of football. Never really got close. We slowly faded away, sold our best players, and lo and behold, we've sort of been languishing in in mid to lower mid table since.
1: Yeah, I mean, just just going back to that game as well. Um, I mean, the the first leg at the Etihad, uh, you you gave Man City a real run for the money in many ways. I I remember coming out of that game and going, you know, we've come away with a two one win. We got away with that one. Um, like, how do how do you reflect on that game now? Do you know
7: what? I'm 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 only I'm only young I'm in my Um, I'm in my late 20s and I haven't been to you know as many away games as a lot of the people who've got decades on me in terms of seniority but you know I normally do you know half or two thirds away games so I'll be averaging 37, 38 been to all all places but up to Newcastle London South all over that game for me and I think a lot of City fans even with longer memories will, will be unforgettable for a long time you know because we honestly should have beaten man city and should have beaten a team let's let's not forget was unbeaten at that point everyone watching match today everyone watching the highlight packages on youtube would have seen a team of man city who seemed indestructible who seemed unattackable. And suddenly, here was this Bristol City side who have already knocked out four Premier League teams and now going in at halftime 1-0 up against the best Premier League team, maybe the best team in Europe at that point. And it was a weird situation. Obviously, there was the euphoria of the goal, the disbelief of the goal, but at halftime, you'd expect a packed out away and I think a record um, away attendance they had at that point. You'd expect that packed concourse those packed bars to be singing to be gleeful to be cheerful and actually it was a weird stunned silence (laughs) it was unlike any other thing i've experienced really in a way day instead of everyone going this is brilliant what a great team people just sort of looking around going is this is this real it's really what's happening this lee johnson this sort of like you know this former the son of a former manager this mixed bag of a head coach who some people still aren't won over, is somehow outsmarting Guardiola. We had all these weird set pieces that only appeared for the first time. These these odd short free kicks or moves and passes. Every player in our team, I've never seen them want to win a game so much. And were it not for, you know, a couple of bits of quality. And the fact, obviously, you are horrendous cheaters and we should be <laughs> awarded the Carabao Cup 17-18 uh, now I think we, you know, I think we, you need to post it to to BS three. I think were it not for that, <laughs> you know, we could have had one an, yet another amazing iconic um, away win that day.
1: Yeah, so I mean, just, just moving it forward then to uh, to this current season, you've said uh, that uh, kind of languishing in mid table. Um, how's it going at the moment? What's uh, what, what's what what are the what are the good points? What are the bad points? What's what's happening around Bristol City at the minute?
7: Well, it's interesting, because I think when this draw was made, it was it was obvious that every City fan, you know, man's man and Bristol um was gonna hark back to this to this iconic well it's iconic first, I know you've had a few a few bigger ties, iconic semi-final really. And for us as a club, we are in a very different place. You know, we aren't chasing the playoffs. This cup isn't seen as a distraction. This could be the highlight of our season. Um despite us being in lower to mid table this season, um, whereas before we were obviously, I think we were second at that time. The momentum we're going into this game with is quite similar. You know, we are 11, I think possibly 12 unbeaten. That could be 13 against Hull. The mood over the last two months has really shifted amongst Bristol City fans because two months ago, we were, I think, fourth, fifth from bottom. People were questioning Pearson. People are questioning the chairman, questioning the project, etc. But right now we are 12 unbeaten with a team of young and cheap players, half of whom have come for our own academy. And all of these players look like they're going to be, you know, with us for the foreseeable future, and have we have a chance to see them flourish and build in this in this in this formation system that, to be honest, we've stumbled across? So we've been playing three five two all season two months ago. So many injuries to our centre backs forced us to play four three three, and half the team look like completely different players. We are a team that are frantic. We're going to press, going to counter quickly. And although I think we are more fluid as a side than the one that that did so well against you five years ago. Expect us to be confident and, and trying things and going for it um, for the 90 minutes.
1: Do you do you like I, I mean it, it sounds like a strange thing because most teams should like possession, but some teams like possession more than others. And I'm kind of getting the impression that that you guys like that then in that sense. You'd like to get it down and knock it around a bit.
7: Do you know do you know what I think that again I, I can't I don't think I don't think we've had even I think it's probably been the last five so, do you know what? I can't remember the last time we were a team that tried to keep possession. Lee Johnson tried <laughs> all he could and it, and failed. And we've always been a team that defends well, that's resolute, nicks the ball and goes. And for someone who goes to loads of away games like me, that was really exciting. Because you'd be going to places like Norwich, Burnley, Sheffield United, you know, big clubs with big wages in comparison to us. And you knew you were in there for a back against the wall game. And I think against Man City, it was a little bit like that, wasn't it? You know, You guys had the ball and every time we got it, it would be, right, let's go. First pass forward. And I think it's like that under Pearson. And fans can appreciate that because the way we attack and the way we counter is very pleasing on the eye. And when we defend, it's a different sort of pleasing on the eye, but it's pleasing on the eye nonetheless.
2: Get
0: a dollop of City nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
1: Who are, the, who are the players that are, are likely, if if there's going to be a cup upset uh, in this one, who are the players that are likely to do it for you? I mean, I'm going to talk about one and I'm going to talk about him now so that you can
7: save this clip and, and play it at my funeral when I was proven <laughs> right about him. And that is Alex Scott. Anyone with half an eye on the championship or even English football should be aware of Alex Scott by now. I hope Kevin De Bruyne starts because it will genuinely be Scott versus Kevin De Bruyne. In the middle of the pitch, you think of the big players that have gone from Championship to Prem. You think of Calvin Phillips, James Madison. Name anyone else? I know they're all different players. Alex Scott is the next one. I don't mean he's just going to go to the prem and Player Cup games. I mean he's going to go to the Prem and he's going to kick on. And if he's not going to a mid-table team, then kicking on, going to a bigger team, he's going straight to a bigger team. He can do everything. There's a fear because he's one yellow away. He's one yellow away from getting suspended. If he gets suspended, if he gets booked against Hull, then he will miss you know a game that could feasibly add several million onto his price tag. He will do it all. City fans are joke. City fans are joking that if he has man of the match, Pep Guardiola is going to buy him. He's that good. So any any Man City fan watching the game, have a look for Zach Viner in the in uh, Zach Viner for Alex Scott in the middle of the middle of midfield because he will be running our game and running it superbly for someone who's who's nineteen years old.
1: Yeah, when you—I mean, when you look at—I um, don't know if you've seen much of Manchester City this season, but when you look at uh, at the form that that City take into this uh, this cup tie, um, do you get the sense that there could be an upset on the cards? Because there's there's been a number of games this season where you know City should win, they should play well, but put them under a bit of pressure and you know put a, make make them make them have to work hard. There's a, there's a real chance of an upset and a, and a result. So, like, I, do you take confidence from that this season?
7: I mean, yeah, I, I mean, like I said, we're twelve games unbeaten. You know, we're, we're, I think since since the since the World Cup, win the win the top six for points per game. So we are an above average championship side right now, and one that's very hard to beat. In terms of making City work hard, I think we are going to do that. I think that's what this team does at the moment. Is we will press and we will fight and we will try and win the ball back as soon as we can. And with a sold out, and with a sold out Ashton Gate. I think they can really get behind, really get behind the the, the team, really, because there hasn't been many sell-outs. There hasn't been many games of this excitement. You know, we're not in a relegation scrap. We aren't chasing the playoffs. This is sort of going to be the big release in terms of noise and aggression from Ashton Gate, really. Um, I mean, I watched the Forest game on the weekend, and that was a game that you know you really should have won four or five nil. I think Michael Richards said six or seven, didn't he, on Match of a Day? But lo and behold, yeah. you miss those chances, yeah, it pound not explode and mess yeah. it up, and it happens. And I think. You know, it, it's time we haven't had an upset for five for five years. It's just getting over five years since we beat Man United, and I'm sure you guys gave them loads of stick when that happened on Twitter and any other social media. So maybe it's the time the the
1: red half of Manchester or Salford rather get a chance to uh, <laughs> give it back to you. Yeah, um, whereabouts, are you, whereabouts? are you worried about this uh, this team? Have you have, have uh, Bristol City got any any particular weaknesses this season?
7: Well, do you know what? I think anyone who has been watching City over the course of these t- this twelve unbeaten. This twelve unbeaten streak. We'll see how important Robert Atkinson and uh, Zach Viner are in the back in the back four. There are two main centre backs, and they both are capable of winning headers, and they're both capable of playing football. Um, Atkinson, unfortunately, might have done his ACL on the weekend. That's a big miss. We've got Thomas Callas, who's our record signing, to come in, but he's just coming back from fitness. So I think maybe working those centre back pairings out um, could be could, them working each other out could be quite important. And the other one is we've got a keeper who would be a great understudy to Edison. His kicking and confidence and level of calmness is outstanding, Max O'Leary. But I just worry if he's up against someone like Haaland or a team that can press and nick it like Man City, maybe that's a way that you guys could um, could steal a goal from one of his um, blasé kicks, let's say.
1: Yeah, does he uh, does he save shots? Because that's the criticism of Edison at the minute. That is, uh, it'd be nice if he bailed City out at some point. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what he does? All right.
7: And I don't want to compare <laughs> him to 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 Casillas because um, it's a bit it's a bit harsh on O'Leary. But he's he's really good, and he's a young. He's again, he's one of these academy players. We've got players like Pring, like Viner, like Scott and Sam Bell, whose dad Mickey used to play 300 games for for us, who've all been sort of talked about for a few years as sort of like, oh, are they any good? Or oh, they've had a few loans. They play here. They're not good. And suddenly, maybe it's because we aren't going down or because we aren't challenging for playoffs, there's a bit of leeway now. And these players have had 15, 20 games just to make a few mistakes. It's not going to cost us a league uh, a league position or whatever. And I think because of Pearson's willingness, and maybe he's been sort of um, petting into a corner with our lack of funds, because of his willingness to give these kids a try, suddenly we've got a team that, even though they're not in the top six, even though we're not winning every game, it's very hard for fans not to fall in love with them because there's so many young, youthful, exuberant locals that we're watching them play.
1: Yeah. Well, Stan, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up. Um, I've, we've got the charity bet coming up a bit later on. I am notoriously bad at it. Uh, so one of the things that I like to do is when we have guests on is to give my my prediction over to them. So what's your score prediction for this game?
7: Score prediction? I mean, listen, I'm a confident young chap, but I, I don't think we're going to beat Man City. I do think we're gonna get a goal. Do you know what? I'm gonna go for a valiant penalty defeat to, uh, for Bristol City. So I'm gonna go 2-2. Alex Scott if he plays, I'm telling you now he'll get mad at the match, and whoever's on ITV will be using lots of superlatives. So that's that's my
0: prediction. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. What don't worry, it'll be over soon.
1: That was Stan Hughes from the One Stream in Bristol podcast and magazine. Uh, charity bet time. The total on the charity bet is still £645 for the season. So helping the Man City fans food bank support group who are collecting for Manchester Central Food Bank. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single. Uh, we'll come to the Bristol City game in a second. We'll start with Bournemouth though. Um, for this one, I've gone for a 2-1 City win, which is 17 to 2 and £85 if I am right. Uh, Richard, what are you having for this? I'm going city to win three one. Three one at Bournemouth is uh, ten to one and a hundred pounds. Uh Casey, I talked you out of it last time. Uh I can remember. But it but, wasn't it uh, wasn't
3: last time. It was Was it, it not last you know, time? It wasn't last time, but the one time you talked me out of it, I won. So uh, I'm I'm not being talked out of it. I'll go six one again.
1: Yeah, six one. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's, it's a two way street now. This, isn't it? Because one, you should be talked out of it to to increase the chances of you winning. But two, if it actually happens, then you'll kick yourself for not having put exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like playing the same lottery numbers. Exa- every I was week. just going to say you,
3: exactly the same thing. Yeah. You
1: bank yourself into it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, sixty to one if you're right. So six hundred quid for the kitty. Um, Casey, I know where you're going for Bristol City. Then on that case. <laughs>
3: yeah, six one. <laughs>
1: 6-1 again, 50-1 uh, and £500 if you're right. Uh, we heard from Stan earlier on that he's gone for 2-2, two, two, which is 25-1 to one and £250 if he's right. Richard, finish us off. What are you going for? Uh, another uh, Manchester City 3-1 win Uh, a 3-1 win is 10 to one and £100 if you are right remember you've got to be 18 or over to gamble prices can change and for more on gambling responsibly take a look at begambleaware.org we will finish with some questions from uh, Twitter this week get in touch for next week at Blue Moon Podcast is the best way to do it there you can also email us as well through the website just go to bluemoonpodcast.com fill out the form there and we'll come to your questions then Uh, we start with Jerry on Twitter who says uh, do you think City have a width problem this season wide wingers is something that a lot of fans think back to with the Centurions season but that's not necessarily the issue we've seen City play with width and with inverted wingers in the past whether it's the fullbacks pushing higher up or wingers hooking the touchline even if it's not on their natural side but this season has one of City's biggest problems in breaking teams down been making the pitch too narrow uh Casey what's your what's your reaction do you think so no uh,
3: to me and this might be me being like a bit of an arse in terms of like the, the way that I'm watching the game I see the biggest issue is the gap between the center forward or whoever's in the middle and the winger is way too big so usually that gap is then uh, like traditionally like say there's a, a big gap between Mares and like let's say Foden was playing false nine last year either Foden would come close to come close to Mahrez or Mara's would tuck in or if there was a gap left in between Walker would burst through that space This year, there's like a massive space between Haaland and whoever's on either side and no one is filling in that space. So, for example, Gundogan traditionally is good at arriving late into the box and filling up that space. That is not happening this year, and I don't know what the reason for that is. And to me, that is the biggest issue. Whether people are coming in tight, whether they're going wide, there is always a big disconnect, apart from when it does click for us. Generally, when we're not playing well, there is a big disconnect between the space between whoever is playing wide and whoever is in the middle, whether that is Haaland or whoever is filling that position.
1: Yeah, I mean the other side of this, Richard, and just as Casey was speaking there, I kind of thought back to um, the uh, kind of the eighteen nineteen title winning season, the the ninety eight ninety seven with Liverpool, and that was when City started their kind of their inverted wingers process. And I just remember Sterling was he was almost like a second striker at times. He wasn't very wide. He would often be there for the tap in at the back post by getting close to Aguero while. You know the the width was on the other side of the pitch, for instance. Like, is that like it kind of speaks to what Casey was saying? Is that the problem there? Could like if, if Grealish is hugging the, the the left touch line, should Mares then get closer to Haaland?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I never profess to be a great tactical analyst, so I think <laughs> like I think I agree with um, with what Casey's saying, and I think. Like, that probably speaks to what I was saying earlier about the feeling of things being a bit laboured as well. Like, if it's fundamentally changing, I guess, like, the the speed at which City can play at, if you have having those gaps between players, um, it, I guess it changes the, the rhythm of the passing. But for, like, the... I guess the width as well. So this is like a, a massively underdeveloped theory or, or point, but I'll I'll say it anyway. Like,
1: crack on, we love them here. <laughs>
2: I've been a little bit struck by the fact that Mahrez's improvement in form has coincided quite neatly with Haaland's very relative, but dip in form or where it's suddenly become more apparent that City is still really adjusting to Haaland's style of play. I think when, when Haaland was scoring what felt like hat tricks every week, like Mares was really, really struggling to get into games. And he had this quite sudden upturn again after the World Cup where it suddenly felt like nobody's picking out Haaland's runs or we're just struggling to. I mean, I'm aware saying this, like he's, he's never been hugely involved in games and he, he can't, you know, very economical with his touches. But I just. I don't know, I just feel like this, maybe there's something there around um, how a b- wide players sort of dovetail or, or really link up with Haaland and maybe the spaces that they occupy. But again, I caveat that massively with not being a great tactical analyst, so maybe it's purely coincidence.
1: Yeah, uh, final question for this week comes from Joel Burrows on Twitter and it kind of speaks into the same thing as well because uh, he says Thierry Henry said recently that he thinks City are too predictable with Haaland in the team now in a way that they weren't predictable last season or the season before. Uh, do you agree? If so, how can City be less predictable? Uh, before you give your answers though, uh, Guardiola was asked about this uh, in the build-up to the Leipzig game. Uh, this is what he said.
5: I understand exactly what did you want to say. I think Jimmy Carroll want to say it's for the fact if we play and he put the balls to Haaland. So less predictable is not depends on Holland. it depends on the way we can make the process to arrive in different channels to the final third not just with Erling. We have to continue to try to lead that process and after we because it is one for hundred percent sure against and we were not predictable. Absolutely not. But if you arrive here, here, try the crosses from Erling, 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 or just past to Erling, will be predictable. That, that's true. To be as predictable, we need more runners from Kevin, we need more runners from Gundogan, we need more runners for the Wingers, we need more runners there when we arrive there in the final third. But to arrive in the final third, we need the process.
0: If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts.
1: So, KC, I mean, like that's what Guardiola thinks. And, I, and weirdly, I I kind of feel like City have not been predictable enough because I think ultimately they should be looking for Haaland more.
3: Yeah, I, I think we definitely do need to be finding Haaland more. Um, and like I said, like I mentioned earlier on in the pod, that is that is something that Pep needs to figure out because it is a tactics issue, I suppose, at the end of the day. Um, and I think, like, like Richard touched on earlier, I think Alvarez playing... Um, even though he's a much inferior player than Haaland, does, in theory, suit us more because of the type of player that he is. But I can also see Pep's also thinking he wants to play Haaland back into form. But you can't just do that without trying to tailor... I'm not saying that he's not trying to tailor his tactics, because I'm fully confident in his ability to come up with a solution to the Haaland you know, quote unquote problem because it's not a problem. But I think he will he will come up with a solution. But that is on him at the moment to to uh, figure out a way to get the best out of it.
1: I mean, Richard, I guess that's it, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, in terms of predictability, maybe Forest was the outlier. They definitely weren't predictable against Forest. Um, I, they were kind of. I, I don't want to be. I don't want to finish on a downer, here, but like kind of predictably not that good in most other games around this time. <laughs>
2: yeah and I think like I suppose my probably the running theme of like what I've been thinking about today in my answers is that labored feeling probably does come from predictability because if it's if we feel predictable to supporters um if we feel predictable to like pundits who watch the game then we're gonna be predictable to teams who've spent the week or the the days leading up to a game analyzing city and then that probably you know, in turn makes it harder to break teams down when they know exactly what you're going to do within a, and this is very relative, but within a relatively limited range of what you might do. Um, and yeah, I think you sort of said it right as um, like maybe the, the answer is almost been more predictable in finding Haaland because what isn't predictable is exactly what run he's going to make when or how he's going to finish. But what was proven time and time again at the start of the season was if you find him more often than not, he will finish, and something... That's the,
1: that's the predictable bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like,
2: something... Just something has changed in City players not looking for Harland's runs. Maybe it's, you know, the start of the season, De Bruyne was putting ball after ball in for him. That, you know, you think of the derby, like, the the cross for that one where he stretched his inspector gadget leg out and, and turned it in when it looked like it was going out of play. Like, there the just seems to be a, a lot less of that kind of thing, and I don't, I'm normally quite quick to look for like giving credit to the opposition for snuffing that kind of thing out. But I don't look at the way City have been playing recently and think that the problems getting Haaland into games are because he's largely being marked out of them. I don't think that's the case. Um,
1: Or structural, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's like a, I guess it's just a, it feels like a perfect mix of like a perfect storm at the moment of players being a bit slow, a bit laboured, not finding a striker. Who is maybe having a little bit of a dip in confidence, and it doesn't feel like everything he touches is going to turn to gold, um, and it's it's just resulting in this fairly uh, this fairly laboured um, feeling. But you know, there's always time to turn that round, and hopefully, it's with a a hat trick at Bournemouth.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I, I was about to say say what a sour note to end the podcast on, but there we are. Um, let's hope he does turn it around against Bournemouth. But for now, that brings us to the end of this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much for listening and thanks to my guests, KC. Cheers, mate. And Richard Burns. Thank you very much. Don't forget, there's more Blue Moon Podcast stuff to listen to on our Patreon page. Uh, We've got brand new City Nostalgia shows every Monday, plus you can listen to these shows without the adverts as well. We've got a clip of this week's Patreon show coming up, so stay tuned for that. I'll be back after the game with Bristol City, so we'll see you then. That was
0: the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can, and don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's.
6: I know the 6-1 is obviously the big one that happened earlier in the season, and it's for, you know, obviously iconic for a whole number of reasons, but I think this is the one that I mean, A, there was there was more on the line at this point, like being in the crunch stage of the season with like a few weeks to go until the end. And then also the fact that You know, Fergie very much came and played for a draw. Fergie could always say, like, you know, noisy neighbours and not in my lifetime and all this stuff all he wanted. But he knew that season that we were like we were for real and we were like on their level. Yeah. What uh, what was the nerves like ahead of this one? I was horrible. Nowadays I kind of I, I quite I'm quite excited for Derby days, but I think back then I was still I was very much in the same you know, they were they were still the big game to look forward to every year. They were still the one that even though no matter how much we'd won trophies and stuff like that, and we're on our way to to perhaps winning a Premier League title this year, regardless of that, it was still United was the game to focus on. But obviously then having the, the amount of jeopardy involved there from a derby day is pretty difficult to match. Yeah, it was it was it was horrendous. And that's why, you know, that relief after the full-time whistle. I don't think I've felt anything like that probably probably ever since, to be honest.
0: You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode.